Do you have aspirations to be a leader in your business or organization? Welcome to Leadership Stars with your host, Linda Patton. Each week, we feature true leaders recognized in their fields who provide insight and ideas in creating a strong team and how you can become an effective leader. Now, here is Linda Patton. Welcome to today's episode of Leadership Inspirations. Excuse me, Leadership Stars. I have two things that run on Monday and... They both start with leadership. Um, Today, I have a phenomenal woman who is leading a movement to change the conversation around abuse and sexual assault. And did you know that one in three women will be abused or sexually assaulted in their lifetime? And that's just not okay. You're invited to take part in this conversation, and it's a vital one. It's one that we have to have and that is so badly needed. We've hidden far too long. Transformational experiences, both uplifting or devastating, and the change are life experiences that we have faced and will continue to face. C.J. Scarlett is a victim advocate, a speaker, an author, a mother, a grandmother, and truly a change junkie, which we'll talk about. And she's going to share her own transformational experiences, her important work with women and girls to claim their personal power, and ways we can turn on our own, turn off our own pain and turn it into a catalyst for meaningful change. Wow. CJ, it's so good to have you on the show today. Linda, I am thrilled and honored to be here. Thank you so much for having me. Well, it's been a stumbling, fumbling morning so far, um, but I know we're, we're going to get on track and really rock it today. That so, happens. <laughs> it does. It does. So, CJ, um, tell us a little bit about um, your background. You you said something to the effect of your life's been defined by huge transformational changes. So, tell us a bit about that. I sure will. I want to preface my remarks by saying that everyone is fighting a hard battle and my experiences are no more or less difficult than what everybody experiences, but I did have a lot going on. Mm -hmm. My my dad was a career Marine, so we moved every one to three years. And then when I was 12, my father retired and moved us to a very, very rural backward town in Arkansas, which was a huge culture shock. And I never really adapted to it. Um, At 19, when I was a college freshman, I was raped by a sheriff's deputy I was dating, and then a few months later by my Marine Corps recruiter. Now, I went ahead and served for five years in the Marine Corps. I had two sons. I changed my career after I got out of the Marines to nonprofit work and went back to school to complete my bachelor's and master's degree in human violence. In 1990, I started dealing with my history of abuse, and at the same time, I was diagnosed with two life-threatening diseases that left me totally debilitated. I divorced, I remarried, I became terminally ill, I fought my way back from death's door, I changed careers again, I ran three companies, (laughs) I lost my second husband to a heart attack at the age of 51, I became a grandma, I wrote my second book. And I'm now attempting to retire, but I'm not very good at it. I'm still involved in half a dozen projects that keep me busy. Uh, CJ, wow. Uh, I I totally understand all all of that. And I I love the fact that you're trying to retire. That's something that uh, I've thought about. And that thought lasts about 30 seconds. And I said, <laughs> no, I'm having too much fun. Why would I want to retire? I um, feel the same way. Yeah. I mean, I remember my, when my parents retired and, you know, I, I would go visit them and I'd go, 
is this all there is? You know, you'd have women's coffee on Tuesday and men's coffee on Wednesday and you went out to lunch with your friends a couple days a week and you rode bikes and it's like, there's got to be more to this than than just that. Um, There's too much out, to change in the world yeah. to, to sit still. I agree. I agree. And you have such a, a strong um, program that you're working with. Um, and I love your book. Um, can Thank we talk you. a little bit about The Badass Girl's Guide? Absolutely. Um, I love talking about The Badass Girl's Guide. Um, so Uncommon Strategies to Outwit Predators. So first of all, what what prompted you to write this book? I was asked to write the book by a woman I was working with on a project to um, create technology where victims could report their assaults. Mm. And she wanted me to write the book so that we could get exposure for this project. In Uh fact, the project did not ever pan out because she kind of dropped off the radar and she was our investor. But I continued with the book and I published it last December, excuse me, December of 2018. And I've got it on the market, and actually for the next two days, it's absolutely free on Kindle. So anybody who wants to download it can go to Amazon and have the book for free. Fantastic. And you were an International Book Awards finalist? Yes, and it won the Pinnacle Award, and it's up for the Eric Hoffler Award now. Oh, that's awesome. Congratulations. Thank you very much. I'm very pleased with that. So in the book, you ask women and girls to change their thinking and behaviors and really claim their personal power. How does the book help them do that? In the book, I provide tips on how to um, fail the predator interview. I talk about the kinds of predators there are, like the ones that are just opportunistic. They see somebody walking down a dark street and they decide to sexually assault her mm-hmm. versus the ones who take their time to groom their victims over time. Ooh. And I talk about the predator interview, and that's where predators ask you questions or make comments to see how you react and then choose their next action based on how you respond to them. So you may meet somebody who makes inappropriate comment. Mm-hmm. And if you giggle nervously, um, they'll push further. But if you say, that wasn't cool, or I don't appreciate that, they'll usually back off. They'll say, wow, she's, she's not going to be a good victim. She's going she's gonna to argue. She's going to fight back. And in that way, you have just failed the predator interview, which is actually a great thing. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, so the, yeah, go, ahead. Oh, go ahead. No, no, no. Well, in, in the book, I talk about how to avoid being targeted in the first place, how to outthink, outtalk, and outfight the predator without knowing any uh, formal martial arts or self-defense moves. And most importantly, as you said, I teach women and girls to claim their personal power so they can live their life feeling confident and in control. So... I guess, what what is it about our culture that brings out this in men? Why, in essence, aren't they, I don't want to say revering us, but why why do they not see us, I guess, as equals, but instead as slaves or, or objects or whatever? What What is it? Well, there's a lot of things in the media, obviously, that sexualize women and objectify them. Mm-hmm. Now, there's pornography, there's the, the music videos, there's movies that treat women and, and portray women as sexual objects. But part of the problem is the way girls are socialized. Mm-hmm. We're ra- you know, boys are made of snakes and snails and puppy dog tails, and we're made of sugar and spice and everything nice. Right. We're taught that making nice and, and accommodating the people around us is the most important thing. And so when we're confronted by somebody that makes us uncomfortable, we do giggle nervously or we try to normalize the situation and we don't have good boundaries and we don't trust our intuition and we don't act on it and that gets us into trouble 
And how, I, I know that there are sexual predators who prey on girls very young. Um, yes. And so how do we and where do we start to teach our, our girls um, how to confront and or not be a target um, that early in life? That is such a great question. I'm actually in the process of writing my next book, which is called Raising Badass Kids, Teaching Your Children from Age 2 to 22 How to Talk About Danger. Okay. And it's going to to break things down into ages from the age of 2 and 3. How do you talk to a child about danger when when you don't want to terrify them? Mm Mm-hmm. And But you also want to make sure that they stay safe and they know that if they fight back and yell and scream and kick, if somebody picks them up, that they're more, they're more likely to get away. Mm-hmm. And how do you talk to a three and four-year-old? And how do you talk to a six and seven-year-old? And how do you talk to a teenager? And they're all very different at different stages. Um, the most important thing we need to teach our kids is, you know, currently there's a lot of focus on stranger danger, but in over 80% of the cases, it's not a stranger that assaults them. It's somebody they know. Mm-hmm. And often a family member. Often a family member. And in those cases, the child is so, so vulnerable because they, children don't want to believe that the people who control their lives that they love and revere could possibly hurt them. So the child, it doesn't, when you abuse a child, you're not teaching them to hate you. You're teaching them to hate themselves. Mm -hmm. They will blame themselves for what is happening. And they'll internalize it. The, the great thing was, I was at one point the executive director of a child advocacy center for abused children here in North Carolina. And when the children would come in who had been abused and get the therapy they needed and were assured that it wasn't their fault, six months later, they would skip out the door feeling better and, and healed. Mm-hmm. Unlike the, the ones who don't tell or don't get the support they need, who are still grappling with the trauma decades later. After one presentation I gave, I had an 80-something-year-old woman come up to me and whisper in my ear that when she was 14, she had been raped by her brother and had never told anybody. Wow. And I I whispered back and said, honey, you just did. And we both cried. I mean, she held that in for 80 years. And that's, I think that's the the crime of, I mean, it's not a victimless crime, that's that's for sure. But the crime is not the the rape or the abuse itself it's the fact that you live with it and blame yourself for it for the rest of your life right yes the trauma the the post-traumatic stress that occurs um is profound often if you don't get the support you need and um, a lot of what determines whether somebody's going to be able to heal well from a trauma like that is the reaction they get from the first person they tell Mm-hmm. So if they go to tell the teacher or their mother or somebody they trust what happened to them and they're told that it didn't happen, that Uncle Ralph would never do that, or that it was their fault, those are the people who are going to have the most difficult time healing from this from the trauma. The ones who are reassured that it wasn't their fault and that get the help that they need are going to have an easier time of it. And what about the the kids that are abused by other authority figures, you know, there's a huge um, outcry about priests, um, but also around nuns. That's something new that's come out. Um, You know, how does that affect the child who's been abused? Oh, it's got a terrible effect. I mean, the reason incest, you know, where somebody is abused by a family member, Mm -hmm. a close family member is so 
painful and so traumatic is that it's the, the people you have to rely on, you have to trust, and clergy fall into a similar category. These are people that you look up to. These are people who are guiding you to God. Mm-hmm. These are people that you are told you have to trust and have to obey. And when they take advantage of you and and abuse you, it you know, it's almost impossible not to internalize that and blame yourself. Yeah, and I think that's the the crime of the of what's happening in the in the church. Um, and I, it, it's sad. It's very sad that it's come to this. Um, and abusers will work very hard to convince you not to tell. They'll mm, threaten yeah. you, or they'll tell you that God will punish you, or that it's your fault, that you're bad. They're counting on you not to tell, and they they choose their victims so carefully, and groom them over time so carefully to make sure that they're getting children who are not going to, who are less likely to disclose to another person what had happened. And I think it's so powerful, though, that so many women and, and men are coming out, stepping out and saying, I was abused, I was sexually assaulted, um, and are willing to go through the work that it takes to clear that um, mm-hmm. from, from your psyche. Uh, I, I think the fact that we aren't hiding it as much, I mean, I'm, I'm sure that there are still thousands of individuals who've been assaulted who haven't spoken up um, excuse me that's so ingrained in them not to talk to be silent that they, they wouldn't even know what to say or they've even forgotten you know mm-hmm. it, it, it's still there but it's buried so deeply in the subconscious that you don't even know it's there what kinds of things trigger that memory to come back Things that remind you of the event or per- or people that remind you of the event, it could be a certain smell, like the smell mm. of an aftershave that maybe your perpetrator had worn. Wow. Could send you right back to being a five-year-old child. It can be being in an environment where you have no power. You feel powerless. It could be a work environment where you have a boss who screams at you. Mm-hmm. There are so many different things that can trigger somebody who has been abused. Um, the, the Me Too movement, as you suggested, there are more people coming out and speaking yeah. out now. And the Me Too movement is a powerful, powerful movement. And I'm so thrilled that this has happened. And it's great. Um, it focuses more on victims. And I, I, I want to do focus my work on how to keep people from being victimized at all. Yeah. But this movement has encouraged so many people to come forward. It's alienated some men, made them feel like they don't have a voice. Um, But they're welcome to speak out too. Um, On my Facebook page, I have a Badass Girls Tribe group and I have a Badass Guys Tribe group. I'm trying to encourage men to speak up about their experiences as well because it used to be believed that you know, one in four girls would be raped in their lifetime and it'd be one in 16 boys. But now they're believing that it's much more likely that boys will be abused at a rate almost the same as, as that of women. Interesting. Especially if you include prison rape. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, now, from a teacher's perspective, I mean, you, you've, you've talked about um, your new book is, you know, how, how to educate children from age 2 to 22. And you have grandchildren. How old yes, are your I grandchildren? I have a, a twins that'll be, boy-girl twins that'll be four in April, and a one-and-a-half-year-old granddaughter who will be two in, in June. Ah, so have and you I asked- want very much to get this book done so that I know how to, how to talk to them 
you know, when the time comes. <laughs> I think that's fabulous. I, because I think that's a, that is a conversation that you need to start early in life. And I love the fact that you're starting it too. I have a grandchild who's maybe eh, three months tomorrow. Oh, um, congratulations. So th- thank you. So I think it's a little early to start talking to her about being safe. But I'm so glad that the book will be out before she's two and I can turn it over to her parents. And actually when the book comes out, I've got they've got um, cousins uh, of Sydney's cousins that it would be great to be able to hand that to their parents and how to um, train them, teach them to be safe. Now, what do you do about schools? Because that's, that's another prime location where kids can be abused, bullied, whatever. And uh, I guess my question is, how do you teach the teachers what to say? I tell you, it's, um, from what I'm reading, I just finished re- reading this morning, Reviving Ophelia, and the research oh, I'm doing yes. on young, young women's experiences at schools from middle school and, and lower grades, it's a gauntlet, sexual harassment and assault. Mm-hmm. And our kids are in, it's almost as bad as it was in the military. The harassment is just unending, and it's very, very distressing. So... Um, teachers do need to be educated about what to look for, looking for children who are normally outgoing and suddenly become withdrawn and isolated. Right. Um, I, I told a story in, in a previous episode about um, a colleague of mine whose daughter was very out there um, when she was younger, like in her um, early teens. And they were in a restaurant and she wanted to order dessert. And her mom said, no, we, you've had enough. Um, we don't need dessert. And she literally stepped up in the, in the booth, turned around and shouted to everyone in the restaurant that she'd been kidnapped. These were not her parents. Would oh, somebody no. please help her? And it's like, what do you say? No matter what you do, you look like you might have kidnapped her. Um, oh she, my gosh! She she did one other thing. She um, oh, it was at school. She was very much a tomboy, so she was always bruised and has cuts and scrapes and that kind of thing from you know falling out of trees or just the type of of play that she had. And so she goes. She didn't have a, a show and tell item, so she decided that she'd show off her bruises. And so oh, she, no. I, you know, I got I got this. And the, t- and the teacher, because they'd been educated that if a child looks like they've been abused, you take it to the principal and you call the parents. So the parents go in and they have no idea why they're there, but the, there's a police uh, person and the, and the principal's there and everybody else. And they're asked, you know, like, uh, do you beat your child, basically? And she, what the mom said was, I, I got angry. She said, first of all, I ha- how could she say this? And two... Um, you know, I, how, you know, you defend it and you finally get the police department to say, okay, I understand, you know, your, your daughter's a little out there. <laughs> um, but then all, she said, all I wanted to do was go home and kill her. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, okay. Um, but, you, you know, you, we've taught teachers to look for abuse, to look for, as you said, the withdrawal, but also to look for bruising, um, unusual breaks, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm I'm not sure that we do a really good job of identifying um, those kinds of things. What do you think? I think there's more work to be done and more training that needs to be done, especially when it comes to the more psychological symptoms that, that children mm-hmm. can express. It's often perceived as just rebellion and teenage mm-hmm. rebellion and puberty symptoms. 
mm-hmm. when in fact it could be something much deeper and it re- requires more investigation. So there's a lot that's got to be done. Wow. Okay. Um, so CJ, you said that you once met a Tibetan Buddhist monk, Lama, uh, whose advice not only changed your life, but it saved it. Could you tell us that story? I would love to tell you that story. I was diagnosed with lupus and scleroderma in 1990, which are life-threatening autoimmune conditions. And I was sick on and off over the years. But by, ni- by 1999, I became totally debilitated. I was unable to go you know, to turn a doorknob or hold a cup or hold a hairbrush because my hands were so painful and swollen. I had to go up and down the stairs on my hands and knees. And by 2002, um, the doctors told me my heart was failing, that I could die at any time. And, oh, my God, Linda, I was terrified and deeply depressed. And I curled up in a ball and waited to die. And then I got a chance to meet privately with a Tibetan Buddhist lama who lives here in Raleigh, North Carolina. And I hobbled up to his house and I made a pitiful bow and burst into tears and that's when I learned that llamas don't do dramas. The llama very sternly but very kindly told me to stop feeling sorry for myself and start thinking about the happiness of other people. And I was shocked because I was so sick I couldn't help anybody. I couldn't even help myself. But on the way home, an ambulance went by with the siren blaring and I said a quick wish for the people, the person inside that they would find help and healing. And I thought, that's easy. I can do that. So I started sending love to the drivers around me, letting them go ahead of me in, in the lane letting someone have a better handicapped spot, getting the mom with the crying baby, letting her go ahead of me in line. Mm-hmm. And I felt happier. So I did more. I gave my cane to a woman who was struggling to walk and volunteered at the Red Cross after Hurricane Katrina. And I got happier. And I reached a point, I'd become so consumed by my own suffering that I'd forgotten that everybody is suffering. Mm. And by doing these acts of kindness, it took the focus off of me and my pain and made me recognize the humanity of everyone. And I felt so much love and compassion. And I reached a point where I felt so joyful that it no longer mattered whether I was sick or well or even living or dying. I was just content. And at that point, my condition went to remission all within 18 months. Wow, that is powerful. CJ, we're going to take just a real quick break here, about two minutes. And audience, I'd like you to think about what CJ's been saying about both... um, predators, as well as, you know, how would you educate your children on being safe from not only predators that are stranger, but predators that they know very well. And we'll be right back. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Have you left your corporate or military career to start your own business? Are you frustrated that you're not seeing the success you expected as an entrepreneur? Let leadership expert Linda Patton show you the key skills and mindset you need to engage your team, build your influence, and create the thriving business of your dreams. Linda Patton understands the challenges and frustrations facing a new business owner. Drawing from her own 40 years of experience in the military, corporate, government, and entrepreneurial arenas. That's why it's become Linda's life work to help women like you truly become the world-changing, extraordinary leaders you are meant to be. Are you ready to step in, step up, and step out into leadership to create an exceptional business and life? 
Start by scheduling a free 30-minute strategy session with Linda Patton. Contact her at Linda at Dare to Lead with Linda.com. That's Linda at Dare, the number two, leadwithlinda.com. Become a member of voiceamerica.com. It's easy and best of all, it's free. Start out by going to our homepage or any of our channels and click register at the top. Once you've created an account and signed in, you can create your own custom library, opt into our newsletter, search by show, host, guest, or topic of interest, or browse millions of hours of content across all of our Voice America radio channels. Membership gets you more. Visit voiceamerica.com today to get started and tailor the listening experience to your taste. Linda Patton draws from her four decades of leadership experience and her heartfelt passion to show women how to lead, dream, and create what inspires them. Her signature training programs and workshops will guide you through the key skills you need to own your leadership power, build your resources, plan your path, and take the actions that will translate your vision into reality. Start by scheduling a free, no-obligation, 30-minute strategy session with Linda Patton. Contact her at Linda at DareToDreamWithLinda.com. That's Linda at Dare, the number two, DreamWithLinda.com. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com You are listening to Leadership Stars with Linda Patton. To reach the show today, please call 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. You may also send an email to Linda at daretoleadwithlinda.com. Now, back to Leadership Stars. Welcome back. And I have a phenomenal guest on today, CJ Scarlett. She's a facilitator of retreats for women and girls living in imperiled communities. She's an expert in victim advocacy and has given speeches, workshops at national and international events and has appeared on numerous radio and television programs, including MSNBC and NPR. We're going to talk a little bit about her background as well in this segment and sort of how she got to where she is today and, and the challenges she had with some of the careers that she's been in. CJ, you say that you're a uh, change junkie. What does that mean? Because of my experiences growing up and moving every year or so, I learned to quickly adapt to change. Mm-hmm. And for years after my dad retired, it actually felt strange for me to settle down into one place. It, mm-hmm. was, it was stifling to me. As a leader, I learned that change, while it can be scary to many people, actually is essential for growth, both per- personally and professionally. And without it, we stagnate and become obsolete. I also learned that even painful changes like my illness force us to go places in our psyches that we wouldn't go voluntarily and can lead to amazing emotional and spiritual transformation. Fantastic. I know this this month is all around change and people have a difficult time with change. Uh, Why do you think that is? People have to be willing to let go of the outcome. And that's really, really hard for us because we want things to go our way. We either want the things we want, or we want to avoid the things we don't want. Mm-hmm. And and if, if we don't get what we want and we can't avoid what we don't want, we feel thwarted and, and it makes us angry or depressed or upset. This clinging to the outcome is the cause of all human suffering. So mm-hmm. when you let go of the need to control things and release attachment to the outcome, trusting that everything will turn out just fine, 
you're able to live in the present moment, which is the only place where happiness and peace can be found. Absolutely. I, I love the fact that you said we, we have to, um, in essence, give up control of the future and recognize that all we, ha- all we really have is the present. Um, that's the, the one thing that we can affect, but we not necessarily the future and definitely not the past. So, CJ, I, I was fascinated. You're a former roller skating car hop. <laughs> Did you do that when you were in high school or? Yes, I did. When I was 15 years old, my first job was at 12. I was a babysitter and I cleaned people's houses. And at 15, I got my first W-2 job at a Sonic in, in, in rural Arkansas as a roller skating car hop. And so I would deliver the food on the trays on my roller skates and it was a blast. <laughs> that, that 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 it was an interesting uh, visual that I had of you um, having a tray on your roller skates that you delivered. To- <laughs> no, but that isn't what you meant. Now, didn't you have an interesting story about how you got your babysitting job? How I got my babysitting job? Maybe not. Um, so one of one of my guests um, uh, actually convinced her neighbor to let her babysit her newborn child, even though this was her very first babysitting job and had never done it before, and she was that. Um, confident that she could do it and she knew what to do that she actually won the woman over and her first job was um, babysitting a newborn which I go there are moms who don't like babysitting their own newborn much less someone (laughs) else's Um, well when I started babysitting my first newborn I had gone through a Girl Scout course to learn about babysitting but the idea that anybody would entrust a 12 year old with a a brand new baby is just. but this is back in the 70s and it was a different time right right um, and you also cleaned houses. Well, I didn't. I wasn't hired to clean the houses, but I was so hyperactive as a child, and I enjoy washing dishes, for example. And so, when I would babysit and the kids would go to bed, I'd clean the house, and as a result, I got paid twice as much as any other babysitter out there. I made I a small it. fortune babysitting. Well, yeah. I mean, one of the things I think that that parents. Um, dislike about going out is the fact that you leave the home. Yes, the 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 babysitter could be fabulous with the child, but generally they come back to sort of a mess in the house. It's never exactly how you left it. So the no. fact that you that you clean the house, wow, you were such an asset to parents that I'd hire you. <laughs> I'm still doing it today for my son and daughter-in-law. When they go out, they went out last night and I watched the kids, got them into bed, cleaned the house, and they came home to sleepy kids in a nice, nice spanking clean house. I love it. That's great. Now, CJ, you, you went into the Marine Corps. So you followed your father into the Marine Corps. Um, and as you know, I didn't follow mine. My dad was both Marine and he was in the Navy during, as we were talking in the war, which was World War II. Um, I joined the Army and the rationale was I, I wanted to um, test it out before I, ha- I had to commit. And both the Army and the Navy had a um, college junior program. Um, the Army's was four weeks, the Navy's was eight. And you know, we were looking at the, at the pros and cons of both. And you know, for the most part, they were pretty much equal as far as what they accomplished, um, just different timing. And my dad said, you know, if you don't like it and you do the Army, you only wasted four weeks. <laughs> if you did it in the Navy, you might have wasted eight weeks out of a 10-week summer. He said, so it's your call. You know, how you know how much time do you, uh, I don't want to say want to waste, but, you know, you want to spend in this something that you might not like. So I did, I joined the 
the Army um, and retired um, several years ago as a major, um, but very different experience. I, I, I think one of the things that just amazed me, and I'm not sure about the Marine Corps, so you're going to have to tell me, the Navy has more uniforms than Carter has pills. I swear. <laughs> he do. I, I was on a Navy base and I was um, being escorted around by a, a gentleman um, who had a PO, or, yeah, POW that we were taking the pictures out to their parents to see, you know, was it their son? We thought it was, but we wanted to confirm it. And I was in his BOQ room because we were getting ready to um, leave. And I'm looking at the wall and he's got like eight different hats on the wall, all different colors. You know, there was there was green and there was blue and there was white. And, and I'm going, how do you know what to wear? I can't imagine in, <laughs> I can't imagine in boot camp, you know, because uh, we had enough trouble with, you know, raincoats on, off, on, off, on. <laughs> oh, I think we'll be in greens today. No, let's, uh, you know, that kind of thing. I can't imagine having eight different wardrobe changes possible and having a, um, you know, a drill lieutenant or a drill sergeant who decides on a whim that we're going to change uniforms after you've you know been out anyway after you've been out for uh, inspection and go no I think we'll go into work uniform instead I just I just can't imagine <laughs> how was it for you as a marine I I flourished in the Marine Corps initially I was uh, honor graduate of my platoon because my my uh, recruiter, my dad, had taught me everything I needed to know before I went to boot camp. I could field strip an M16. I knew my general orders. I knew how to march. Right. And I was raised on stories of my dad being beaten in boot camp at Paris Island in the 50s. Oof. And so I went to boot camp thinking I was going to be beaten, mm-hmm. although why I went, I don't know, um, <laughs> and, and and knowing everything. So when I would lie awake in my bunk at night, I'd listen to the women around me cry going, I want to go home. And I'd lay there and think, this is it. All they're going to do is yell at me. <laughs> <laughs> so I kicked ass in boot camp, quite frankly, and, and, and was the honor graduate. Um, over time, I got worn down because mm-hmm. the, the sexual harassment was, it was rampant. I mean, I'm sure that you experienced some of that yourself. Linda. Mm-hmm. Yes, it did. And it was it was a daily gauntlet of comments and inappropriate touching. And it, it was uh, by the time I got out five years later, I felt because because I would be sitting there on my writing a story. I was a photojournalist. So I'd be mm-hmm. sitting at my desk writing an article and without knowing, you know, with no notice, someone would a guy would come and plant a kiss on the back of my neck. And I would instantly go from professional reporter to sexual object in a second. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it was demoralizing. It was. I think, I think the interesting thing, at least, now, uh, ask me a qu- or I'm going to ask you a question. In boot camp, were you segregated from the men or was it a, a joint boot camp? Uh, up until the last month, women have always trained separately from the men in the Marine Corps. Okay. Um, so we did as well. Um, in fact, we had our own corps. We had the Women's Army Corps mm-hmm. with our own post. Um, we did share it with the men. It was the old um, Army Chemical uh, Weapons uh, Post, Fort McClellan, Alabama. Um, the chemical school moved up north, and we took over some of the barracks, which, of course, they had to do some major uh, disinfecting and all that. Um, the MPs were moving in just as I left the last time. But the, the interesting thing was we were almost isolated from the men during... Um, basic um, and 
you know, for both the enlisted troops as well as for the officers. So the harassment came more from our own folks. Um, you know, obviously there was a strong homosexual community mm-hmm. uh, because mm-hmm. at that time um, you couldn't be pregnant, you couldn't be married. And it's sort of like if you wanted to have a career um, and it, the people who didn't care about that for the most part were um, the lesbians and mm-hmm. and they could find and they could but they could find love within the community because there were so many women to choose from but they were very selective uh, when you came in in some respects you declared whether you were homosexual or heterosexual if you declared you were heterosexual they never bothered you um, if you were very clear that you were homosexual then there was a bit of that harassment of, mm-hmm. uh, that you didn't see otherwise and for whatever reason maybe it was just me but I was not um, harassed um, as much um, what I found more was disrespect mm-hmm. uh, the, the guys who um, I had one sergeant who said to me I'd walk around the block before I'd ever salute you Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. So I forced him to salute me. <laughs> and and then I also had him transferred to uh, outer Slobovia. Um, <laughs> well, I mean, he, he also tried to do things like um, our we had um, messages that we got about because um, I, I ran a department that kept track of all of the soldiers um, in the six New England states. And so we had to be have just the perfect attendance reports and and we would get these snowflakes. They were little things that asked for, you know, where is Sergeant So and so? And we had to know exactly where he was. Well he hid those for us and they had a deadline. So I um I found them when he went on vacation. Uh, we got them all cleaned up and then I promptly had him transferred because obviously he was trying very desperately to um make sure that I had a horrible um, performance evaluation and all that other stuff. Um, so anyways, it, it was very oh interesting. I, yeah. Um, that's the kind, I, I had more of the sub Rosa kind of harassment mm-hmm. than the blatant, um, you know, sexual harassment. Well, that goes back to my, my history of abuse. I was mm-hmm. very vulnerable and targeted by predators because I was very vulnerable. Yeah. And I, Predators, it's almost like I had a victim tattoo on my forehead that predators could see. Wow. And so guys, you know, we used to laugh off the men's behavior as boys will be boys behavior. Mm-hmm. But there was also that that predator, failing the predator interview thing again. They had made comments to me and rather than putting up my hand and saying, I, I don't, don't talk to me like that. I would, I would laugh nervously. Mm-hmm. So they go further and further and further. And so it, I'm not blaming the victim here at all. I'm simply saying that because I was more vulnerable to that sort of behavior, I was more readily targeted mm-hmm. by the predators. Wow. Um, so you got out primarily to end that? Yes, I was married. I married a gentleman that I worked with, and so we worked in the same office. And our, my last boss was a misogynist who hated women in his Marine Ooh. Corps. Mm-hmm. And to to torture, and he didn't like my husband, and so to torture my husband, he would torture me uh-huh. and make my husband make me stand at attention and, and call me to task in front of the office or, you know, call me his crazy Marine and make comments. He, he, he just, he got, he got arrested for beating his wife while I was working for him. I mean, that's the kind of man he was. And wow. so by the time I got out, I'd gone in with a roar 
and gone out with a whimper. I, I just felt really demoralized and defeated by the time I got out. It was it was an unfortunate way to leave, you know, what was otherwise a stellar career. And how did you get your roar back? Um, a lot of self-help books, a lot of therapy, and that the decision to claim my power, to take my power back when mm-hmm. I was in my 30s. Okay. And that made all the difference in the world. Mm-hmm. I had a misogynist uh, major who we were double, um, double booked in the assistant S1, which was the human resources and all that, in the reserves. And he, I was pregnant at the time. And when I um, reported for duty, he basically said to me, I don't like pregnant women. I don't think they're pretty. I think they're disgusting. And I will not give you any quarter. Just know that. Oh, my gosh. Oh, yeah. What happened to him? Um, Well, I ended up leaving uh, after our two-week summer camp because he basically made my life miserable. Mm -hmm. Um, And I finally, I, I broke down to my roommate and she went to the chaplain who said, what do you want to do? And I said, I just want to have one job and I don't want to watch my counterparts sit and drink beer and smoke cigars all day because he doesn't have anything to do and I'm working my ass off. Um, and we made that happen. So, CJ, it was great, great to talk about the military. I don't get a chance to talk to we'll someone. We'll have to get together over wine one night when I come to California's trade stories. Absolutely. And so, audience, we're going to take a, a, a break And I'd like you to think about um, instances where you've come into a job just gung-ho, ready to change the world, and by the time you left, you were whimpering and feeling demoralized, and we'll be right back. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. Linda Patton draws from her four decades of leadership experience and her heartfelt passion to show women how to lead, dream, and create what inspires them. Her signature training programs and workshops will guide you through the key skills you need to own your leadership power, build your resources, plan your path, and take the actions that will translate your vision into reality. Start by scheduling a free, no-obligation, 30-minute strategy session with Linda Patton. Contact her at Linda at DareToDreamWithLinda.com. That's Linda at Dare, the number two, DreamWithLinda.com. Have you had a chance to check out Voice America's online magazine and blog? If you love our hosts and shows, check out articles that give an even deeper perspective, plus topics about health and fitness, movie reviews, philosophy, business tips and tactics, spirituality, positive thought, current events, and even more about your favorite host. It's just a click away. At Have you left your corporate or military career to start your own business? Are you frustrated that you're not seeing the success you expected as an entrepreneur? Let leadership expert Linda Patton show you the key skills and mindset you need to engage your team, build your influence, and create the thriving business of your dreams. Linda Patton understands the challenges and frustrations facing a new business owner. Drawing from her own 40 years of experience in the military, corporate, government, and entrepreneurial arenas, 
That's why it's become Linda's life work to help women like you truly become the world-changing, extraordinary leaders you are meant to be. Are you ready to step in, step up, and step out into leadership to create an exceptional business and life? Start by scheduling a free 30-minute strategy session with Linda Patton. Contact her at Linda at Dare to Lead with Linda.com. That's Linda at Dare, the number two, leadwithlinda.com. Friend us on Facebook to keep up with what's empowering the world. Voice America Empowerment. You are listening to Leadership Stars with Linda Patton. To reach the show today, please call 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. You may also send an email to Linda at daretoleadwithlinda.com. Now, back to Leadership Stars. Welcome back. And I have, I've been having just so much fun with CJ Scarlett, even though we're talking about a topic that's not fun at all, but there's a lightness. And I think some of that has to be because CJ has been named one of the happy 100 people on the planet. Her personal story of triumph over adversity is featured in several books, including the bestsellers, Happy for No Reason and Be Invincible. So let's welcome CJ back to the show. CJ, hi. Hi. Thank you, Linda. So how were you named, I have to ask this now that I've brought it up, one of the happy 100 people? Marcy Shymoff is a an internationally known um, expert on happiness, mm-hmm. and she's written a number of books and has fantastic programs. And her book, Happy for No Reason, named me as one of the happy 100 people that she had met who had figured out the secret to happiness. Oh, I love it. I love it. And so what is the secret to happiness? I think the secret to happiness is to um, stop wallowing in your personal drama and look around you. See that everyone is seeking happiness just like you are and do whatever you can to help them find happiness. And as you do, you find happiness for yourself. So it's generosity and gratitude, are, I think, are the keys to happiness. I love it. That's that's so right on. I, I, it And it makes perfect sense. Um, so we were talking a little bit about, um, we've, we've talked a lot about change. What is the change that you'd like to see happen in the world? Um, I, I'm sure you can guess the biggest change I'd like to see is for there to be a decrease in the the amount of sexual harassment and assault in the world. It's just so rampant right now and we can do better. I'm thrilled to see that younger people are becoming politically involved. Mm-hmm. Uh, the days of white male dominance are ending and we're entering a new era that's more inclusive and therefore more representative and just. And these demographic changes are leading more women to step into leadership roles, which will ultimately lead to better laws protecting women and girls and other victims of crime. I think that's that's fantastic, and that's right on with what uh, some of the changes that I fully believe in. One of the things that I find interesting, though, is that women, and I, I want to say it was even our generation, but definitely now, um, don't seem to have a concept of path. So that, you know, they, they really would like to um, move up. If they're in the corporate world, they want to move up in the corporate world. They want to step into a leadership role. They don't mm-hmm. know how. They don't know how to make that happen. Um, they don't necessarily have mentors to That's make that happen. That's the key right there is mentors. Yeah. And I'm, I'm not sure that 
senior women in leadership roles, C-suite leaders or you know senior um, management leaders, know how. How do we teach these both both ends of the spectrum how to really step into that leadership? One of the things I love about women is that they tend to lift as they climb. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, in the in the seventies and eighties, there was it was, and even the nineties, it was a lot more contentious, a lot more backbiting and catfighting and competition between women. But now I see women. My experience has been they lift each other up, and I think that it takes a lot of courage to ask a woman to be your mentor. But women, gen- you know, a mentor is generally going to be flattered to be asked. Mm-hmm. Um, women can also choose to sponsor somebody, meaning that they spot a young person who has potential and approach them and say, I see the potential in you. I'd like to help you cultivate that. Would you like a mentor? And so the request can come from both ends. And I think that's that's the important point is that it can come from both sides, that you as the mentee don't have to wait to be asked. You can ask. And from a mentor perspective, sort of the same thing. You don't need to wait to be asked. You can step in and say, hey, I see your potential. I see you. And I want to be there with you. I want to walk that walk with you. And recognizing the fact that a mentorship is not necessarily a lifetime agreement Mm -hmm. that when the men- mentoring no longer has value, because it, it can come to that, that it's okay to say, it's been great. You've given me so much information and so much, so much experience that I'm ready to move on and perhaps to look for a, a, a different type of mentor. Mm-hmm. Um, I, know, I know we do that with um, coaches. You know, we get to a place with your coach and you go, it's time to move on. It's time, you, you've given me everything that I I asked you, and it's time to move on. What I think was interesting that you said was about competition. Mm-hmm. Competition is a masculine quality, right? Yes. And so, what sort of what role models have we had in leadership up until recent? Yes, they, it's been mainly men, primarily you know? men. And yes. and as as you know, the command model is the model of leadership that they have. Uh, and we, uh, as women, actually look more for collaboration. How do we collaborate with each other mm-hmm. um, so that um, we do where everyone wins? Um, I remember in, in several of the careers that I've been in that um, it was difficult working with the seniors, senior um in the in the career because as you said it was more competition you know mm-hmm. that 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 pyramid gets very narrow at the top and you know with folks coming up it's like ooh when you know i i have to i have to beat them down because i can't afford to have all of this competition right mhm yeah i, I think, agree i think that's changed very much so and i love the fact that we are supporting women in leadership positions in political positions and really starting to get the work done. I know. I love it too. Okay. CJ, you have a free gift, which I think is very unique um, for our listening audience. Would you tell us about it? Yes. For the first person who emails me, I'm going to send them an autographed copy of the Badass Girls Guide. And my email is cj at cjscarlet.com. And Scarlet only has one T. So it's cj at cjscarlet.com, C-J-S-C-A-R-L-E-T. 
Uh, and then I um, mentioned earlier that my book is available on download for free for the next two days on Amazon. So if you put in the Badass Girl's Guide by CJ Scarlett, you're going to find the book available free of charge for the next two days. And I think that's a phenomenal gift. Thank you so much, CJ. Um, and I, I advise you, my audience, to definitely pick up a copy of this. It's an easy read, and yet it's so powerful. You also get to see yourself in the book. Like, where have you stepped into um, being available for a predator and not even re- necessarily recognized the fact that you're sending out those kinds of vibes or that you've walked into a predator interview and don't even recognize it. It will bring more awareness to you and how you walk around in this in this planet and the, the types of messages that you're sending out. So thank you so much, CJ, for that. Thank you. Um, um, so, CJ, as we're getting sort of close to the end of the program, I'd love to ask you to give our audience one or two really great tips that they can do, like, right now. Okay. I want to remind your listeners that they have three superpowers they can summon to protect themselves at any time. One is their boundaries, and this is the line you allow people to cross or not in your physical and emotional space. Predators will test your boundaries to determine whether you'll make a good victim. Your job is to set the boundary very clearly and maintain it and let them know that they're dealing with someone that is not going to make a good victim. The second is to trust your intuition. Your body is a finely tuned instrument of wisdom and knowing, and it's constantly giving you cues about your environment and the people in it. Don't give someone the benefit of the doubt if you feel uncomfortable around them. Whether you firmly tell them no or simply walk away, you decide what's in your best interest. And your third superpower is your moxie, which is also called brass or chutzpah. And it's your willingness to stand in your power to honor your intuition and defend those boundaries. It means summoning your courage and claiming your power. And it means being as rude or aggressive as necessary to someone who's setting off alarm bells in your body and pushing your boundaries. CJ, that is fantastic. So audience, please step into your superpowers and let's not be... Uh, abused. CJ, thank you so very, very much for being on the show. It has been a delight, and you and I have much to talk about offline. Yes, we do. It's been a pleasure. Thank you, Linda. Okay, and audience, I'd like you to remember that if you'd like more information about Awaken the Leader or the Art of Hurting Cats, Leading Teams of Leaders, please do send me an email at Linda at dare, the number two, dreamwithlinda.com. And I want you to remember this week to be courageous and dare to lead and we'll be back next week see you then thank you for tuning in to leadership stars please join linda Patton for another engaging edition of our program next monday at 1 p.m eastern time and 10 a.m pacific time on the voice america empowerment channel we'll feature another noted leader next week 